Please be seated. And as you're seated, turn in your Bibles to the book of Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 4. That's going to be our focus today. Uh, if you don't have a Bible, I just encourage you to pick one up on your way in in the foyer. There are some available there right now. If you'd like to follow along um, in the scriptures, we'll jump around a number of passages through Ephesians 4, and it's helpful to see it with our own eyes inside of a, a paper Bible there. So we do have them to pick up as you come in. Uh, we are continuing a study through the fruit of the, of the Holy Spirit, nine qualities that God develops in his people as they draw, as, as they believe in Christ by faith, as they grow in faith, is that these qualities they are going to see grow inside of their lives as part of our spiritual life, is to, be, to see these things happen in, inside of us. And that list, you don't have to turn there now, um, stay in Ephesians 4, but the list comes in Galatians 5.22, and it says, The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And so today we focus on the sixth of those, the sixth one, which is the spiritual fruit of kindness. And that's what leads us into Ephesians chapter 4. Our main verse we're going to focus on is verse 32 which has an explicit command given to us. But just get a bit of the context. Let's start in verse 25, and we'll read all the way through 5-2. So Ephesians 4, starting in verse 25. Hear the word of the Lord. Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. And give no opportunity to the devil. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands, so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up, as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children, and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. This is the word of our God. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God, it stands forever. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, as we read this and as we consider kindness, uh, we ask that you grow this fruit in us. And as we come into your word, that you'd help us to uh, unpack areas of our life, maybe areas of unkindness that we see. Father, to see you as the kind God and to see how we can just show that kindness out into our world. And so, Father, this is a time to meditate, to think um, about your word and our lives, and just ask, Lord, that they would come in line. And so, God, we ask you this uh, according to your grace. It's your grace that has to work in us to do these things. And so we ask that you'd send your spirit, connect us with this truth, strengthen us in it. Father, we may live lives that glorify and please you. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.
Well, as we see in verse 32, that kindness is a commandment which is given to us. Now, what is kindness? The, the Greek word that is used here is krestates, and it refers to practical actions that are done to the benefit of others. And so I like to think of it as love in action. You know, kindness is love in action, it's love with some, some feet on it. And sometimes in small ways and sometimes in big ways, but always in a way that meets the need of someone else. And you could think of some of the various ways that you have seen kindness, whether it's in somebody holding a door for you, maybe providing a meal for you, uh, maybe it's someone listening to you attentively, or someone encouraging you with the things they said. Maybe somebody bought you a meal or, or helped you to pay a bill. It was uh, reading a story this week about a plumber in, in England who um, does his work to help uh, elderly people who are in need and are often taken advantage of over in England, and, and he helps provide plumbing at a low cost, often free, um, so that they can uh, continue to pay the rest of their bills without being gouged. Um, I read, I saw another horrifying video of a of a teenage boy being lowered down into a pipe about you know 30 feet deep and about a foot and a half you know, of diameter, and he was put head first down in there so he could reach all those 30 feet, one, a boy who had fallen in that pipe, and to be able to pull him out. You know, we can think about kindnesses. You know, there's, those are all kindnesses. Um, we could go on and on about them. In fact, as I look out at you, I see uh, so many acts of kindness that you have done for one another, that you have done for us, uh, in my family, um, you just have a lot to, to give thanks for in that. Um, but it's, you know, kindness is our reminder that love is embodied, that love, uh, love, love is something that we do. It's, it's, it, it's an action. In fact, if we remember 1 Corinthians 14, in its wonderful description of love, the first part of love, it says love is patient. We looked at that last week. And the second thing it says about love is that love is kind. It's kind. That's because that love um, actually does things. Uh, love seeks the good of another person. And in seeking the good of another person, you know, it might get dirty. It's, it's going to do something in order to see that that good is actually accomplished. It's just not wishing good things for people or being, um, or just merely having a positive view of someone. But it's actually something that works itself out in action. Now, kindness, it seems to be a no-brainer sort of thing, something we would see a lot of, and yet for some reason, uh, there is a lot less kindness in our world than we think there, there should be. You know, somebody after the first service said, thank you for a sermon on kindness because there's so much cynicism in our world today, you know, that it, it's helpful to think about that. And maybe you've seen that, the cynicism, um, which tends to eliminate kindness but it's not just out in the world, it might be even within ourselves. You know, we might look at ourselves, we might find a lack of kindness. Uh, you know, we should think about it. Is kindness a regular part of our lives? Are we kind to our spouse? Are we kind to our children? Are we kind to others within the church? Are we kind to strangers that we meet on the street? Um, you know, this commandment to kindness is directed towards believers within the body of Christ, but it, but it shows itself in so many ways out into our world. 
Now, C.S. Lewis noted the difficulty of kindness. Um, Once he wrote, kindness, in the sense of kindly or kind-heartedness, is one of the fruits of the Spirit. I find I can't be kind for 10 minutes without something inside of me balking. Maybe you've had that experience too, that you can do something quick, but if it takes 10 minutes, well, there's something about you that might be resistant to it. What is it that keeps us from kindness? We can look at Ephesians 4, we're gonna see some of that. Look at verse 19. 19 describes three things, sensuality, greed, and impurity. I mean, those three things are contrary to kindness. When we are looking to people as being a means to an end, in order to get something from them that we want for ourselves, it's really hard to be kind to them. We objectify other people, whether it's for our sensual pleasures or whether it's for our own greedy ambitions. You know, it's hard to be kind. When we're absorbed in ourselves, you know, we're not going to be kind. We may not even notice what's happening as we just think of ourselves and our own trials, our own problems, our own conflicts, our own desires which are not being met instead of the person who's right there in front of us at that moment. Verse 26 gives us another reminder of something that will keep us from kindness. It says, therefore, uh, I'm sorry, verse 26, be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. If there's an anger towards someone else with a desire to see them to pay the price for the thing that they've done or the way they've offended us or the hurt that they've caused, you know, that's going to keep us from being kind. Jump down to verse 31, right before verse 32, with the command to be kind, right before verse 31 really gives the, 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 um, the antithesis, the opposite of kindness, when it says, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. What does anger do? But anger, when it's left unchecked, it desires to see the hurt of somebody. You know, so it, it erupts in bitterness towards somebody. It shows itself in saying uh, slanderous things about others. You know, and in this desire for uh, someone's um, suffering rather than their good, it's really hard to be kind to someone. Pride. Pride is another hindrance to kindness. When we look down on others, um, in our pride, because maybe they've made poor decisions, um, then we're unlikely to be kind. If we don't see the value of the person in front of us, we're unlikely to do good for them. Now, all these things, they, they have something in common. They, they grow out of a sense of indifference towards others. If we don't think that people are important, we will not consider their needs, we will not even notice them, and will not be kind to them. There's a new slang term that's out there. And the slang term is NPC, NPC. It's a non-player character. So all of you video game players, you know what a NPC is, right? So you have the person who's playing the game, that's the human actor in it. And then you have the NPC, those are the computer-generated, computer-run uh, people inside of the game. You know, they're not real, they're, they're um, computer controlled. And the, the term NPC, you know, when it uses a slang term to describe somebody, you know, it describes uh, somebody who's maybe not doing anything beneficial to society or, or something who, or maybe somebody who's being controlled by the thought processes of the society at whole. And so some people call other people NPCs. And, and here's the thing is that, you know, 
there's no person you look at as an NPC. You know, every person you look at is created in the image of God. Every person that you look at has value. If you look at other people's as NPCs, as something with no value other than just being some controlled mechanism in the world, you know, you're not going to be kind to them. And that's the way the world looks at people. The world isn't kind. The world wants to devour people, wants to use people to its ultimate ends, not caring about that person that is in front of them, instead of seeing them as a tool, as an object to push an agenda. And that is the world's pattern, to use others to further their system. It doesn't care if people are stuck in destructive habits, as long as it fuels its pursuit of control, wealth, or a sense of self-righteousness. Instead of those things, um, you know, that person becomes a fertilizer to accomplish those other goals. And that's what I think is behind so many of the biggest moral issues of our day. And people, the one sense, will say, well, we need to care for those people who are suffering and having these difficulties, and we need to love them. You know, but there's a spiritual contradiction. Is the things, um, the moral change, the ethics they try to put forward are so often um, fueled by a political agenda, a subversive spirituality, a rebellion against God and his word, and the people who are a part of this are just there to further their own aims and their own wealth. You know, there are people who are suffering under a great, uh, all kinds of problems, but in contradicting God's word, the world's system is unkind in that it uh, contradicts God's justice and it increases the suffering of others. The world is all too willing to pull in suffering people and to use those people to push their own satanic worldview and to live in rebellion against God and to further their own agenda. Now, so what do we do? You know, we're the people who are called to be kind. We need God's word. We need truth. You know, how do we be kind? You know, maybe you've heard the statement, practice random acts of kindness. I don't hear it so much these days as I used to, but Practice random acts of kindness. The problem with that is that unless we're intentional, um, we are unlikely to do kind things. It's not something that happens randomly. And plus, we need to know what is kind. And to understand what is kind, we need to know what God's word says. We need to take thoughtful action in light of what God's word says. It's never kind to break God's law or to encourage others to do it. So we need more than just random actions. We're also told that we should be nice, but we need more than to be nice. We sh- I think we should eliminate the word nice from our vocabulary and replace it with kindness instead of niceness, because they're not the same thing. I mean, nice people, they're easy to get along with. They don't demand much. They usually want to fit in. They're usually passive. They're shut down their own feelings. You know, there can be a falseness to being nice, but there's not a falseness to being kind. It's an intentional effort to go and love somebody in a small or a big way. So, you know, that's what God's word calls us to do. So if you look at Ephesians 4.32, you see this command. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. So as we look at this command, it has that important perspective that's given to us. We're supposed to be kind because of the kindness of God in our lives. God is not nice, but God is kind, and he deals with his people in kindness, and he expects kindness from his people.
And so we really have two main points as we look at our passage today. First, some of the qualities of human kindness, and then secondly is the kindness of God. I have a third point, which I'm going to talk about tonight at our evening service. If you can come over to the Hunter's house, we'll look at some examples of kindness inside the Bible. So uh, first, the qualities of human kindness. Um, Verse 32 reminds us some qualities that we need to have. Uh, The first quality we see is tenderheartedness. Tenderheartedness. It describes that attitude towards other people, an attitude of care and concern. Tenderheartedness is compassion. It feels emotions as other people suffer. Uh, Tenderheartedness is sympathetic. It, It sees the weight and the challenges that another person is experiencing. It's tenderheartedness is empathetic, is that, you know, with the ability to put ourselves in those shoes, you know, you know we know, and we try to feel what it would feel like to be there and the difficulty that's there. Now, what are some of the things that keep us from being tenderhearted? You know, one big thing is our own sense of self-righteousness. How do we know when we're self-righteous? Well, what's our response when we see the suffering and the difficulty of, of others? We see people in trouble. Do we jump to the conclusion that they put themselves in that spot? That you would never put yourself in that spot? They're not handling their situation right? That you have more important things to do than to come alongside and do something kind there? You know, those are some qualities of, a, of, of self-righteous thinking. Another, another thing that will keep us from being tenderhearted is just fear. Fear that our kindness will come back on us. Fear that we'll, be able to, that we'll be asked to do more than we're comfortable with. Fear that maybe somebody else will reject us by being uh, tenderhearted towards this person. Maybe fear that of the very person we're trying to help. You know, we remember the story of the Good, Good Samaritan, you know, where this man was beaten up and left on the Jericho Road and you had a Levite to pass by and you had a priest to go by and both, you know, in, in a lot of unkindness just passed on by. There's no tenderheartedness that's there. And, and, and why? Was it fear of becoming ceremonially unclean so they couldn't go to worship? Was it fear of being late? Fear of possibly touching a dead body or getting something that was too big? Fear of what the people around them would say if they heard they made that stop? You know, fear is something that will keep us from being tenderhearted. Another hindrance to being tenderhearted is just inattentiveness. We get absorbed in our own lives, our own problems, our own desires, or just enjoying life and forgetting what's happening around us. Part of being tenderhearted is to spend time paying attention to what's happening. You know, when a person becomes a Christian, what happens in their life, they become tenderhearted. If you look at 1 John 3, 17 through 18, it starts off this way. If anyone has material possessions and sees a brother or sister in need but has no pity on them, how does the love of God be in that person? The idea is that when the love of God is come into our life that we see with new eyes, you know, as, as ones who God has had pity on us, we see pity on others. As we had suffering and God loved us in that, that we would see the difficulty of others and to be able to love them in that. Now, kindness does not mean uh, solving every problem that a person has. I mean, sometimes it is not kind to help. You know, when people are stuck in habits, which uh, just continue to destroy them, like alcohol or drugs, or maybe an extreme example. 
as we see, you know, it, it's not kind to help when it puts a person worse and worse off. You know, kindness has to be in connection with the word of God and what's true and good and right. You know, but it always, kindness always treats people with respect. We know something that will help them, genuinely help them according to God's word, as we do what we can to help. Kindness grows out of a heart that can think of others beside ourselves. And if we're not good at this, what we need to do is to listen, to read their stories, to pray, to start praying for that. Pray for others as they have their difficulties. All right, so tenderheartedness is the first. The second quality we see in verse 32 is the ability to forgive one another. You will not be kind to others if you're holding a grudge against them. You will not be kind to people that you're bitter against. You will not be kind to people who are annoying you. In short, you will not be kind to those that you will not forgive. And forgiveness means letting an offense go. Kindness means uh, refusing to hold on to something, to bring it up again, to dredge it back up, or to get back at people again. It's an essential step to kindness. Keeping a grudge or refusing to forgive someone is like keeping a dead carcass in your house. You know, maybe you've had something really smelly in your house and all you can think about, what is that smell? And you just want to get rid of that smell. And if you are with somebody and you're not forgiving them, then it's like when you're around them. You just want to get away and you just want to get back and you want to get rid of that thing. But forgiveness is, you know, if that's your attitude towards them, you know, you're not going to be kind. Forgiveness is a way to get rid of that smell. It's the decision not to hold an offense against them. To not, try not to, get, to not try to get revenge, to show kindness instead of hostility. So what about you? Is your refusal to forgive a hindrance to your own kindness? Does it keep you from being kind to someone? Have you been too harsh with someone because they did something that bothered you? you know, I've seen grudges grow even in the body of Christ, and it, it separates people. It damages our witnesses. It causes conflicts within churches. keeps us from being genuinely kind to one another. Limits our spiritual growth in kindness. So how do you start with forgiveness? I mean, the first step is to pray for that person, to pray for that person you're bothered with. Now, not to pray imprecatory psalms against them, or against, you know, but to prayers for God to help you forgive, prayers to help God bless you, or to bless them, prayers to give them faith in Christ, Prayers to help them repent and to know God's forgiveness. But, it's, but it, it's, it's to pray for them. And then as you pray, you look for something kind to do, something practical, something you say, something you do. Well, look at verse 28. There's a third quality that's implied. Verse 28, let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his hands, so he may have something to share with anyone in need. The third quality that we see applied here is generosity. Generosity. It's not just that the thief stops stealing. It's that he works hard so that he can be kind. He works hard so that he can share with somebody in need. Something has to change to move from greed in order to generosity. And that's something that happens to happen in all of our lives. To move just from focusing on self-interest and to caring about others. How can you be kind and generous with what you have. Kindness is expressed in, 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 um, in generous ways. 
We might be generous with our words, we might be generous with our money, we might be generous with our time, but kindness is an expression of an otherwise full life. Look at verse 29. Let no corrupting talk, it says, come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. So not only are we not to belittle people, but kindness calls us to give words that encourage others, that build one another up, that give grace to others. So how are your words? Are you using them to build others up? Do they reflect kindness and love that you receive from God, or do they make it look like God is not generous, that you're trying to tear other people down? We're trying to build ourselves up with our words. So generosity is that, is that quality that we develop by being generous, generous to God, generous with others, generous with their words, generous in those small habits and letting them grow. So think about someone you can help. Is there a need that you can help with? Financial, time, a child who needs guidance, a child who needs a home, a meal, an anonymous gift, a scholarship, given to the deacons fund. I mean, the church is about being kind with one another and find ways to express that. Well, verse 32 goes on to say that we are to forgive because God has forgiven us. And that's really important because it shows where the power for kindness comes from. It comes from God's kindness to us and his kindness in forgiving us. See, God forgave us, so we forgive others. And forgiveness is important for our kindness. And so God's kindness is seen as in in his forgiving us. Let's look at the kindness of God. And we see it in practical ways. The way that he came to solve our sin problem by sending Jesus. By the way, he provides for our daily needs. Romans 2, 4 speaks about the kindness of God because it speaks about his patience towards us. He's been patient, he was patient with us in our sin. He continues to be patient with the world in sin, constantly calling people to repentance and faith. That they wouldn't be judged for their sin, but they'd find forgiveness by believing in Jesus Christ. Romans 2, 4 uh, says this, or do you presume on the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? Right, God could just, you know, because of sin, God could just judge immediately, judge instantly, judge completely, but in his kindness, he gives a chance to repent and to believe and to know forgiveness and then to know eternal life. Luke 6.35 says he even does it to the kind, or he's even kind to the ungrateful and the evil. Right, even doing good to those who are evil. He's kind, gross where they deserve it, calling them to repentance and faith. And Titus chapter three, verses four and five reminds us that when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, he saved us not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal by the Holy Spirit. He forgives. He sent Jesus into the world as an act of kindness so that our sins could be atoned for in his sacrifice. Now, I don't know if you saw that movie, Pay It Forward. You may have not seen the movie, but you may have heard the expression, pay it forward. And the idea is that if someone does something kind for you, 
that instead of you know, just saying thank you or just letting it end with you, well, why don't you go do um, some act of kindness to three other people? You know, in that way, the joy multiplies itself, and it goes through practical applications of um, pr- practical actions of kindness through the church and throughout the world. But the key thing is, is that somebody needs to start the first act of kindness, and, and, and that's where God comes in. You know, in apologetics, you know, we sometimes talk about the need of, of a first cause or the need of an unmoved mover. You know, so for anything to have existed, something had to have existed to begin with, right? So God is eternal. Uh, God is the first cause of all things. He, he always existed, and he, he brought the world into existence out of nothing by, by, by his own word. Or you talk about motion. For anything to be in motion, there had to be a first mover, Right? And so God is that first mover who caused anything else to be moved. And so these ideas of apologetics are evidence that there is a God, that there needs to be a God, that atheism is untenable um, as, a, as, as a belief system. Something had to be there at the beginning. Well, when it comes to kindness, we see that God is the unmoved mover of kindness, right? It is through his kindness that all kindness on the earth grows, and as a response to his kindness, we're kind to one another, right? His forgiveness given to us, and then says, pay that forward in the forgiveness of others. Pay it forward in the kindness of other people, making us a better church, making a better world. As God forgave us, and we forgive others, it is a demonstration of his grace and kindness into the world. It really is a danger of, of, of denying sin and, and the reality of sin and, and of the substitutionary sacrifice of Christ. You know, because you know, we recognize in, in sin and in sacrifice that a real issue had to be deal with, dealt, dealt with. God really dealt with it in the substitutionary sacrifice of, of Christ on the cross to take away sin. And when we deal with those who offend us or hurt us, you know, we, and to show kindness even to them, we recognize that there has to be something that motivates this behind it. And that is the love of God, seeing in his kindness and sending Christ in the world. Now, once a person is in Christ, God's whole disposition of that person is to be kind. Ephesians 2, 6, and 7. Ephesians 2, 6 says this. Let me turn there. It says uh, that God raised us up with Christ and seated us with Christ in the heavenly places. In the verse 7, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches to the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. What this is saying is that God in his kindness has prepared heaven that you'd enjoy, that you'd know that you'd know the forgiveness of sins. The world would see that and say, what a kind God that he would forgive sinners and bring them into heaven. Our kindness grows then in us being tenderhearted to the needs of others. We saw that already. We saw that in verse 32. And if we can be tenderhearted, I mean, that grows out of God's heart for the world and for his people. Look at 1 Peter chapter 5. Verses 6 and 7 says, Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so the proper time he may exalt you. But then verse 7, casting all your anxieties on him, because he cares for you. God is tenderhearted. 
towards you. He's tenderhearted to you in your suffering, in your difficulty. This is what Psalm 40, verse 17 said. As for me, I am poor and needy, but the Lord takes thought of me. Do you know the Lord takes thought of you? He takes thought of the suffering in this world. He takes thought of your trials. He takes thought of you even in your sin. That is his tender heart. And so the point that the scripture brings us to, if this God is so tenderhearted towards us, are we, uh, are we not also to be tenderhearted towards others? If you look at Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 through 4, it makes this case. Philippians 2, 1 through 4, it basically says, well, look at all the tenderheartedness of God that you've received. Now, why don't you go and show that to others? Verse 1, if there is any encouragement in Christ, do you have encouragement in Christ? I pray so, knowing that he's forgiven you and loved you. If you have any comfort from his love, do you know God's love that brings you comfort? Do you have participation in the Spirit? You do. God, if you believed in Christ, uh, God has sent his Holy Spirit into your life. Do you have any affection and sympathy that comes down from God? Do you have those things? If so, this is what he says. Complete my joy by being the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord in one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit. But in humility, count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Remember when C.S. Lewis, at the beginning, he said, I can't find, uh, that, that I find I can't be kind for 10 minutes without something inside me balking. Well, he went on to say where the power for kindness and continued kindness comes from. He said, unless, I can't be kind unless, as in a moment of penitence and pity, I take refuge in God and remember Christ's dying for me. You know, that's what's needed to obey this command. The overflowing joy that knows God's kindness to us. All right, so how do we become a more loving person? You know, we're looking at that, it's kind of the overview. How do we become a more loving person? Kindness is a first step. Kindness is an essential step. C.S. Lewis wrote about love, and he, he wrote the question, kind of answering the question, how do we know if we're a loving person? And I think his words um, you know, show us the place of kindness in that. This is what he says. He says, do not waste time bothering whether you love your neighbor. Act as if you did. As soon as we do this, we find one of the great secrets. When are you, when are you behaving, as if you loved someone, you will presently come to love them. You know, I, I love that. You know, is, is your marriage cold? You say, I don't know if I'd love this person anymore. Well, who's saying act as if you did? Your kids, do they seem distant? Does there seem to be a distance in the relationship that's there? Well, be kind. Act as if you love them. Do, do something kind. You know, behave like you love them. Do a kind thing. Do one kind thing without expectation of getting anything back. You know, kindness isn't kindness if we're thinking about what we can get in return from somebody. Or even your own spiritual life. Maybe it seems dull. You wonder what you can do to serve Christ. How, how, how do I love him? Do one kind act within the body of Christ. And know God's joy in it. How do you love your enemy? How do you love your stranger? You know, find a kind act. And to do in service to God and in love of that person who's right there with you. 
kindness, his love in action, that's God's heart for us. And as we're united to Christ by faith, it becomes our action to the world. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we ask that you would make us kind as you are kind. Father, forgiving as you are forgiving. Uh, forgive us for our coldness, our selfishness, our propensity to want to get revenge and hold a grudge. Forgive us for our, inner, our inattention to others. God, you did not ignore us even when our sin, and you did not hold our sin against us, but you gave us Jesus. He was so loving, he was so kind, he was so good. He gave his life that we might have life. And so, Father, we know his kindness. And we ask then that you'd help us to be kind, help us to see others in their trials, help us to see where we can contribute. Father, we pray the world would see more, more of your kindness. We ask you, Lord, that you'd help us to make this love practical. And we ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen.